you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the book of Galatians. We are now coming towards the end of our walk through Galatians. In fact, we just have this Lord's Day and one other. Uh, And then next we'll be looking at the book of Ruth. uh, And then after that, the book of Hebrews. So that tells you where we are going. But uh, for today, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Uh, If you were with us last Lord's Day, you know that as we began to look at Galatians chapter 6, Paul here is speaking very much in the context now of the church. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says they're brothers. That, that means brothers and sisters in the faith. And so he is now talking to those in the body of Christ and saying to them, if you indeed live by the Spirit, if you've truly been born again through the Gospel, then this should be true of your life. And he has pointed out things that should be true of us as Christians. And he talked about how we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We talked about that, that military language of marching together, right, left, right, left, that we, we hear the call of God, the Holy Spirit. That's our drill sergeant. And we, we march to those orders. And when, when we step out of line, or when others step out of line, that's when it's the responsibility of Christians in the church to call us and to call others to repentance. And so we shouldn't look at sin in the life of someone else and be scared to approach that. Rather, the Bible says we should lovingly, graciously confront sin in hopes that that will return a person to march in step with the Spirit along with us. And so Paul now continues in chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, which I talk about some other marks of what it means to live by the Spirit. And so we're going to walk through these together today. And so out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this passage for us today. Remembering this is the inspired Word of God. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. This is God's Word to us today. And it says this. One who is taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to His own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. If you would pray with me. Father God, we do come to You in the name of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray in these moments as we walk through this passage together that You would show us the truth of Your Word. That You would empower us through Your Holy Spirit to respond to that truth through repentance and through faith. And Lord, I ask You if there is anyone here today who is yet to place their trust in Christ as their Lord, I pray, God, that You would move in their life that You would bring them to salvation. Lord, we ask that You would do these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I've been blessed as your pastor on occasion uh, each year to have the opportunity to travel internationally, to do evangelism, to be a work part of the work of discipleship, to partner with pastors and missionaries around the globe. And And some of those trips, I've had the opportunity to go to West Africa. In fact, I have an opportunity with a couple others from church to head out in April back to West Africa. But I remember one time when I was there, just a few years ago, uh, we had gone 
uh, to meet with farmers in West Africa. Most of the people there make their living uh, through growing things, and yet it's a very harsh environment to grow anything. Uh, the temperatures there in the summers for them are you know, 125, 135 degrees. It, it rarely rains, and so you can imagine just a, a dry, hard soil, what it might be like to try to grow something in that environment. Well, on this particular trip, we were going from village to village, and, and the opportunity we had to share the gospel was to first meet with these farmers to find out what their needs were, and then to open up the scriptures. Uh, Jesus uses so much agricultural language there in the gospels, and we were able to, to witness, to share the gospel, as well as to find out ways we could specifically pray. And I remember on one occasion, I was talking to a man in a village, and I, I just asked him the question, you know, what's the hardest thing uh, about farming here for you and again i expected him to say well it's the the hardness of the soil it's the the lack of rain the lack of water but what he said was this he said the hardest thing about farming here is the lack of good seed see for this man to find seed to plant he had to journey about two days away to go to another village where they were having market they would usually have that market once a week sometimes just once a month you would never know exactly who would be there at the market until you arrived. And he said often when he would go, there would be one gentleman there selling seed. And so uh, the seed isn't anything like we might imagine here where it's in a nice little package there. There's a picture on the front, labels. Now this would just be in a little uh, clear bag and the person would tell you what the seed was for. He said the problem is so often you'll buy seed thinking it's for one thing. You'll, you'll take it back, you'll plant it, you'll go through all the labor of trying to water it, and, and then you'll find out over time, as it gets to the time when it's supposed to grow, it's not what you thought it was. It's either so bad that it never produces fruit, or it's seed for something entirely different than what thought you thought you were getting. So the hardest thing for us here is the problem of having bad seed. As we continue in the book of Galatians, we find the Apostle Paul addressing something very similar. See, Paul had gone to Galatia and he had planted genuine, pure seed of the gospel. He had preached the clear gospel, and as this seed took root, there was gospel fruit from it. But after Paul had left Galatia, we know there were some others who came along, these Judaizers, and they were planting seed as well, except this was seed of a false gospel. It was bad seed. And as that seed began to sprout up, and the crop began to come from that, and grow up among the, the pure seed of the gospel, all of a sudden now you've got this false gospel, and the false gospel is bearing fruit. And so now Paul has come and he is addressing this false gospel. And in addressing it, he's helping the Galatians to see what genuine fruit should look like. Well, what should it look like in the life of the believer who genuinely has become a follower of Jesus Christ? And friends, our context today might be very different from Galatia, but I think this is so needed for us. We live in a culture today where so many people are quick to say, Oh, oh I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I believe those things, and yet the fruit of their life is so far from what we see here in Galatians, what the fruit of the Spirit should look like. So we really need to ask this question, what, what does genuine fruit look like? And Paul gives us some additional markers of that in this passage. So we'll just walk through this together and look through them. And the first one he talks about is the issue of giving. Point one there in your outline. We see here that Spirit-led giving prioritizes the ministry of the Word. Spirit-led giving prioritizes the ministry of the Word. Notice what Paul says here in verse 6. 
And he says, let the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. Now this verse almost seems a bit out of context. Because Paul has just gotten through talking about how we are to treat one another in our sin in the church. And then as we looked at last Lord's Day in verses 3 through 5 there, I believe he's talked about final judgment. That we're going to stand accountable before God. That when we stand accountable before God, we're not going to stand there and say, well, well, here's how I did compared to this person or compared to this person. No, we'll stand compared to the righteousness and the holiness of God. And there we will find no one can bear that burden for us. We will stand before God. No other person on this earth can we look to them and say, well, they did this or I did this or I was better than them. No, we will stand before a holy God. And we will either stand and some thought that somehow we're going to defend our case and talk about how good we are, or we will stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, covered by that righteousness. We will be one of those two. And so Paul here has talked about this final accountability. And now in verse 6, he talks about giving. Well, again, this can seem out of context, but it's not when you consider the big picture here. Paul is talking about the church. Paul is talking about what life in the church should look like. He's saying we should confront sin. We should deal with our own sin. We should be ready for the final judgment. And now he shifts here and says, and the one who has taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. He's saying very simply, if you're a Christian, you should be led by the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, you should prioritize the ministry of the Word of God. And if you are prioritizing the ministry of the Word of God, that should be reflected in how you use all the resources God has entrusted you with. And he's speaking very clearly here to the one who is being taught, saying that they need to share with the one who teaches. And particularly, it's the one who teaches the Word. So Paul here is elevating the importance of the ministry of the Word of God. He is saying this is a priority. This is important. We need to hold this up and we need to support those who teach us the Word. I think Paul is likely writing this because there probably been an issue here in the past in Galatia. When you think about it in this context, perhaps you've been at a, a store or some business, some setting, and you'll see one of those little just quickly handwritten notes by the cash register somewhere in the store. Some policy that suddenly come up. Why? Because somebody did the wrong thing. So for example, maybe you've been in a store where right by the cash register, somebody's written, you know, no more checks. And right underneath that, they've got photocopies of bad checks. You know, people wrote bad checks, so now we're not going to take checks anymore. Or some other policy. I saw one that was, I thought, a little unusual one day. I was at a, a donut shop. I know, hard to imagine me being at a donut shop. But I was there at the donut shop, and, and, and granted... All they sold was donuts. And there was a handwritten sign by the register that said, All sales final, no returns. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I won't know what to do if you do. But I mean, who returns a donut? But obviously somebody had tried to, perhaps been successful in it, and then they say, well, we've got to come up with a policy and... See, oftentimes when we read through the New Testament, specifically we read through these letters, Paul is responding to things that have taken place. So Paul writes this passage, this verse, it's there for a reason, and likely the reason is because the Galatians had neglected to do this. And so I think what may have happened here was when Paul went and taught in Galatia, we see this consistent 
biblical teaching that those who teach the word should be provided for by those who are receiving the word. And so I think this was likely the case with Paul and likely what he had set up there in Galatia. You know, for example, you think about what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. He sends out the 72 to go preach. He tells them not to take any of their own food, any of their own provision. He says specifically, the laborer deserves his wages. And so I think that's very much the context we have here and Paul going to Galatia. So when Paul leaves, he's probably established elders there in Galatia, pastors in Galatia, who are going to minister the Word to the people. And they're going to be able to do that and spend their time studying the Word because those in the church are going to share what they have with them so that they're provided for, so that they can focus their attention on teaching the Word. And I think the reason probably that Paul had to address this issue is because that was not taking place. For whatever reason, perhaps the Galatians felt that they didn't need to do that. Well, they can take care of themselves. Well, we'll do other things with our resources. Perhaps what then takes place is you have these people who were dedicated to preaching the word. Now they have to go into other professions and other means to provide for their families. Their time to study the word, preach the word, there is far less. And now you have this void of the word being taught. And what happens? False teachers come in. The, the Judaizers come in. They begin to teach a false gospel, and people are responding to that false gospel. Whatever the context, whatever the situation, Paul felt the need to point out to them very clearly, you need to provide for those who teach you the word. And again, this is consistent with what Jesus said in regards to the 72. And we see this in 1 Timothy 5. Paul even quotes Jesus in this passage in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, among other things, the laborer deserves his wages. 1 Corinthians 9.11, Paul writes, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? And so I think what Paul is saying in this context is, you, you need to take care of those who are teaching you the word. And so, the application of that certainly would be we need to take care of those who preach the Word today. But I think there's even a, a broader context here that essentially says this. We, we need to use whatever resources we have to make sure we are rightly proclaiming God's Word. We, we need to put whatever resources we have. So as a church, as these resources are given, as we take our offering, as we set our budget, we need to make sure that the proclamation of the genuine, infallible Word of God is primary in all that we do. And so often what has happened in churches is there's been a neglect of that for a variety of reasons. And they focused on other things and they made those other things the priority. So for example, you could have a church that says, well, we're going to take 100% of what's given and we're just going to send it out of these doors. We're going to send it out to missionaries and ministries and we're going to go out there to the nations with it. and Well, that's good if you're taking them the gospel. <laughs> but what's happened for many is, is that sending out has been much more of a relief effort. We're going to go dig wells. We're going to give immunization shots. We're going to do these things. They're, they're good things. But if they're not founded on the gospel, if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not holding up God's word as that priority, then they're not eternal things. 
And so I think the question for every believer here isn't just, are, are you paying your pastor? It's, are you using the resources God has given you to make sure the gospel goes out there to the nations, the true, genuine gospel, the, the pure seed of the gospel? So, so as a church, we need to prioritize that. So every ministry, every missions agency, anybody we partner with, it is crucial that they be focused on the purity of the gospel. And if they're not, we can't be partnered with them. Now this is important because in our context today, so often Christians and churches will say, well, can't we just all get along? Why don't we do more things together? But we see denominational divisions. We see different groups out there. And we, oh, but you know, we all, shouldn't we all come together? Here's the problem with that. We can't all come together if we're not preaching the same gospel. We can't all come together if we're not standing firm on the foundation of God's Word. So there will be people that you will talk to, people I've talked to, that when you say to them the truth of the Gospel, that there is a holy God, that we have, rightly, that, that we have offended that God, we have sinned against God, and we rightly deserve His judgment, that, that we deserve hell for our sin, that Jesus died in our place on the cross. That He paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. That if we will repent and confess Him as Lord, we receive His righteousness. He took our burden of sin. If we will repent and trust in Him, we have eternal glory. But if we refuse to do this, we have eternal judgment and damnation in a very real hell. There are people who will say they are Christian who will say they go to church, who will even say they're Baptist, and you say that to them, and they will say, well, that, that doesn't sound like my God. My, my God is much more loving than that. My God is much more accepting than that. And friends, my response to that is, yes, I, I believe that. I believe you're worshiping a false God. That's not the God of Scripture. And so we can't link arms, we can't join forces, we can't be in allegiance together if we're not on the same page on the gospel. There are secondary issues we don't have to agree on, but the gospel is foundational. So what we do as a people with all the resources God gives us, we have to start with the foundation of the purity of God's word. And if we lose that, we lose everything. And so I think the first gut check that Paul really brings us to here is, is that our focus? Or are we prioritizing the ministry of the Word and sending the Word out and proclaiming the Word? That's what Spirit-led giving should look like. Then he goes here to point two. Spirit-led living produces a harvest of holiness. So how we live is a direct result of what it is we are investing in and what our life looks like. He says, verse 7, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because we can be. Where we are easily deceived. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what one sows, he will, that he will also reap. That this is a principle that God has established through his word in the world we live in. That this is a divine principle God has given us. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. For those who don't believe that principle, for those who attempt to discount that, for those who say, oh, I don't know about that, what does it say? Don't be deceived. 
You're making a mockery of God. Now again, I think this is in the context probably of what we saw there in Galatians 6, 3-5 of final judgment, of an accountability standing before God. So, so that reaping what we sow, it might not come right there in that moment anymore than the moment that the farmer plants the seed, up pops the crop. No, it's going to take time. But the end result of what we reap will directly be tied to what we sowed. Bad seed will never produce a good crop. The only way to get a good crop is from good seed. You don't plant a turnip seed and get a harvest of watermelons. But whatever is planted is what you will reap. Why is this significant? Well, continue, verse 8. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so Paul says very clearly here, you're going to sow one of two things. You're going to sow to the flesh or you're going to sow to the Spirit. Now you sow to the flesh, ultimately you're going to reap corruption. That word means destruction. You will be under the wrath of God. You will reap what you sow. You sow to the Spirit, well that is the only way to eternal life. Let's break these down for a moment, starting where he starts. To the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. How do we sow to the flesh? Look back up a few verses there at Galatians 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh. This is how we sow to the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. You might start checking those things. Well, I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. Well, you just keep going. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So Paul says any of these works of the flesh, not all of them, but any of these things or anything closely related to these things, if that's what's evident in your life, if that's the fruit of your life, that is the reaping, that is the byproduct, that is the fruit of a seed that has been sown to the flesh. It says to sow to the flesh is to pander it. It's to nurture it, it's to indulge it, it's to give into it, it's to do anything other than crucify the flesh. One commentator said it well this way. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and working and praying and doing. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. Friends, what are you sowing in your life? I remember as a very young Christian, the university student there, North Carolina State University, and the man who was discipling me at the time, we were talking about some of these things, and, and he, he boiled it down to me this way. He said, Richard, garbage in, 
garbage out. <laughs> you, you put garbage in your mind, put garbage in front of you, that, that's what's going to come out. And yet we, we see so often in this Christian culture, and I fear even growing so in the Christian culture, that, well, no, I, I'm mature enough to handle that. I'm far enough in my walk with the Lord. Those things don't bother me like they bother other people. And we put in front of our eyes, we fill our minds with garbage. And yet we expect to reap a harvest of holiness. That is not sowing to the Spirit. That is sowing to the flesh. You want to do a gut check on this? For those of you who have smartphones many of those phones have a function on there you can look at screen time you can look and see what it is you're filling your mind with i would challenge you if you've not done this to go home and look at it today how many hours a day are you spending filling your mind with this 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 and this how many of us hear that and say well yeah i don't pastor i don't use a smartphone We don't need a little screen. We've got a big screen. All kinds of garbage on it, too. <laughs> or some of us, well, I, you know, I don't watch stuff. I don't look at my phone. I just sit around and listen to garbage from people all day long. <laughs> See, it's, it's all around us. And unless we are intentional, our minds will be set on it. We will be sowing to the flesh. Paul here gives us another way, though. He says the one who sows to the Spirit... Well, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. So, so what does that look like? How do we sow to the Spirit instead of the flesh? Well, he's been talking about this throughout Galatians. This is what he means in Galatians 5 when he says, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, right, left, right, left, right, left. Listen to the Word of God and stay in step with it. And when you're not, repent and come back. How do we know what the Word of God says? got to open it up. We've got to set this in front of us. Well, Pastor, I'm, I'm a busy person. I, don't, you know, I just don't have time like you do. You know, we're, we're doing what Paul said. We're paying you to study the Word. I don't have all the time you've got. Well, I spent eight hours on Facebook last week. But spent 25 hours watching cable news. Now, we've got... Time. We, we make time for those things that are important to us. We, we invest resources in that which is important to us. And if we truly want to reap eternal life, then we need to sow to the Spirit. Romans 8, chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what is your mind set on what do you put in front of your eyes when no one else is around well what do your thoughts tend to dwell on when you're offended by someone how do you respond is your response to consider the gospel and god's forgiveness and his mercy and his grace or do you do you bear and hold grudges is there this bitter root that just grows in you and then you just blow up on somebody well, what is your mind set on? Are you sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit? 
Now, if you look at these things and you say, well, I'm, I'm really genuinely seeking to sow to the Spirit, but, but I struggle. Because sometimes I, I, I see that I'm sowing to the Spirit. I'm seeking to plant these genuine seeds, and yet I just don't know that I'm seeing fruit. Well, that's where Paul goes, and that's where we'll go with this last point, point three. Spirit-led perseverance produces a harvest of good works. Spirit-led perseverance produces a harvest of good works. Listen to what Paul says here, verse 9. So you're doing these things, you're sowing to the Spirit. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. So what does Paul say here? He says essentially to Christians, don't give up. Why would he say that? Because he knows that we will be tempted to give up. Why are we tempted to give up? Because we grow weary. Why do we grow weary? Well, there can be a number of reasons. For some of us, we grow weary because we've misunderstood the gospel. There is such a prevalent prosperity, health, and wealth gospel around us that so many of us have bought into this idea that if I just check off these boxes and I do things the right way, then I deserve this. So, we go into the doctor's office. We've had the scan. And we are just trusting in God. We are confident that all will come back clear. Why? Because we haven't filled our body with all that garbage so many other people have. And we've read our Bible. And we've gone to church. And we sought to do things the right way. So surely God is going to spare me. I, I don't deserve bad news. And then we hear stage four. And then we hear, there's nothing we can do for you. We, we try to do everything the right way. And then something happens and our world is completely rocked to the core. And the temptation as followers of Christ in that moment is to give up. The temptation there is to grow weary. Maybe that's not your context. Maybe it's something very different. Maybe... It's just the pressure from being in a lost, wicked, sinful world that gets to you. If you watched the news this last week or two, you saw that the New York State Legislature has now passed legislation, the farthest-reaching abortion legislation that any state has ever passed. Don't have to be a doctor to murder a child. You don't have to do it at any earlier point in the pregnancy up to that point of birth. You may go into the hospital today thinking you'll deliver and decide, no, I want to kill this child. And now that's perfectly legal in the state of New York. And as if that weren't far enough, we have a governor in the state of Virginia who went on record this week saying that we should go past that. That if a woman delivers a child, her and the doctor should then have a conversation and decide what to do. About that child. Are we so numb to these things that we don't even consider what, what that is that's being discussed? 
that, that you can take a life, an innocent life, at that point, a viable life on its own outside of the mother's womb, and you can kill it. You can murder it. Because you decide it's an inconvenience. You decide it's that you've changed your mind. How much of that can you see and hear and absorb as a Christian and not just get to a point of weariness? And not just get overwhelmed as a Christ follower of, Lord, how much worse can it get? And just when you're at that point when you think, well, it can't get any worse, it gets a whole lot worse. And we grow weary. And we're tempted to give up. Sometimes it's just because we're not seeing the fruit we thought we would see. You know, we look at passages like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. and Okay, Lord, I really, I really need to see patience in my life. And I've heard the sermon on patience. And, and I go home and I just lose it with my kids. And you get weary and you get tired. So what do we do? I mean, Paul says here, don't grow weary. Don't give up. But, but what do we do? How, how do we keep from giving up? How do we keep from growing weary? Well, again, the priority of the counsel of the Word of God. I take us back to where we started this service, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, can consider that, that picture for a moment. And just the other night, if you were out and about, I think it was Friday night, there was very dense fog. Uh, our daughter was at work late, and so Sandy was on the way to get her. It was a dense fog. She could just you know, go 15 miles an hour. Our son came from college. He was up in Louisville, and he was coming back. Dense fog. We're, we're worried because if you were out in it, you know, I mean, you, you literally could, couldn't see your hand almost because it was just so thick. That it was so dense. So, so Paul's saying here, um, imagine for a moment you're in that, in a cloud. It's so thick. It's all around you. It's all you can see. You can't see past it. And Paul says that that's what we're in as Christians. And that cloud is the witness of the Word. That that cloud is those who've gone before us. That cloud is those who, who have been tempted to grow weary but have stood firm in the faith or those who have totally failed in their faith and yet God has been faithful to them. And he's saying in Hebrews 11... Person after person after person, look at the faithfulness of God and do not grow weary. The writer of Hebrews isn't saying look to them and be like them. He's saying look to them and look at the Christ that they looked at. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, that's where we put our gaze. Put the phone down, turn the TV off, fold up the newspaper and tell people to stop talking and we just look to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Friends, I say this to you as your pastor. If you are growing weary, don't look to me. Don't look to others. 
Look to Jesus. Set your gaze on Him. Set your focus on Him. And Paul says here in verse 9, if you do that, for in due season we will reap a harvest. And that season, friend, may not come this side of eternity, but that season will indeed come because God said that it would. And God always keeps His Word. So verse 10, what should we do in response to this? So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So, so let's take care of each other. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's encourage each other in the Gospel. Let's prioritize the ministry of the Word. Let's, let's confront one another on sin. Let's lovingly, graciously call people back into step with the Spirit. And when we're at our wit's end, when we're weary and tempted to throw in the towel, realize we, we've got this opportunity today. And we have this opportunity every day until the Lord takes us home or the Lord returns for us. And so again, consider the context of this for a moment. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in Galatia that he administered to along a missionary journey. He would have further missionary journeys. He would have further churches that would be planted. But the day would come. We know exact timing of Galatians compared to the end of his life. But the time would come within two decades when the Apostle Paul, who had written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't grow weary, don't give up, he would be in a prison cell awaiting to hear his name called so they could take him out and end his life. I'm clueless as to what the prosperity gospel does with this. This is what the Scripture says. And in his final words of his final letter, Listen to the things he says, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word. <laughs> says there's time coming where people aren't going to listen to it, but you just keep preaching it. You stand firm on it. You, you trust in God. He is, he is good. <laughs> in verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time, the time of my departure has come. I fought the good faith. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Here's Paul at the end of his life practicing what he preached. And in a moment when many would be weary and tempted to give up, his gaze and his focus is on the glory of Christ. How, how do you endure suffering? How do you deal with tragedy in your life? The world may offer you many suggestions, but the gospel only offers you one. It's to set your focus and your gaze on Christ and His glory. And so that is the call of the Christian life. The call is to really look back and to look ahead. When we look back to the cross and we look back to the resurrection, we look back to the gospel, we look at what Christ has done, and we look ahead to that day that, that Paul was looking ahead to and that Paul long ago fully realized. 
that, that day in glory when we stand in the presence of Christ. See, friend, the truth of Scripture, the principle that God has established is you and I, we will reap what we sow. The good news of the gospel is this. If you have sown to the flesh and you have sown to sin, you stand guilty of that sin. You will, you will reap the wrath of God for that, but there is hope for you because Christ took on the due penalty for your sin and mine on the cross. And if we are in Christ today, if we are trusting in Jesus today, that then when we look towards that day of glory, we look towards a day like Paul did, when we will be crowned with the righteousness of Christ. That means from head to toe, we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Do we deserve that? Oh, no. Did Christ deserve the cross? Absolutely not. He took our penalty that we might receive His righteousness. And that is where we are, set up, we are to set our hope and our gaze, and that is what we'll do as we come to the Lord's table together.